Last Friday morning, I was uh, reviewing uh, the sermon for Sunday, having completed it and just wanting to go over it. And then uh, later that morning, I had an early lunch with Rusty Foster, who is currently our deacon chair, soon to rotate off. But I just really wanted to have a lunch with him, just telling him how much I appreciate all the hard work he has put in this year. And he has, and he's been magnificent in that role. And I shared my appreciation, and then our conversation uh, trailed off into just swapping fun stories and laughing together a lot. And then I found myself uh, running a whole lot of errands, and it was on a back road going toward Acton Road that I received a phone call from one of my students named Christina. And, And she had already made her way home. She was through with finals. And I was wondering what she was calling about. And and she said, well, she said, Dr. Barnett, I have three friends that I'm going to see today, and two of them are believers and one of them is not, and I just need to know what to say to them. And I said, say to them about what? She said, about what happened. And I asked what happened, and that is when I found out about the tragedy in Connecticut. And things changed at that point. And we needed to hear something else from God this day, but I was still convicted that we could hear from God through his word with the passage that had already been selected, and really all the more through the Christmas story itself. Like many of you, I could not help once I heard about uh, the shooting up in Newtown. I immediately thought of the passage not in Luke, but in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, beginning at chapter 2 verse 17 where it says then that what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more as you know that has to do with the fulfillment of a word from Jeremiah but now Matthew is applying it to the killing of the innocent infants in and around Bethlehem, but in original context in Jeremiah 31, we learn that Ramah was where prisoners were lined up and were either executed or many were marched off into captivity at the hands of the Babylonian. This is the Babylonian exile around 586 BC. And that was Jeremiah's word of lament at that point, talking about those who were soon to go into exile and to be in captivity. And then Matthew applies it here with the terrible, terrible, horrific tragedy of the slaughter of the innocents in and around Bethlehem. And in a sense, all these families now being captive to the throes of grief then. And we now apply it to ourselves today. We have those who are in captivity to tragedy. Simeon came along centuries later, but he knew of that tragedy way back in 586 B.C. But all the more, he himself had seen darkness in his own life, no doubt often at the hands of the oppressive Romans against the Jews, the children of Israel. And his people needed comfort. He was a righteous and devout man, and You and I try to be righteous and devout. We don't always do it well, but we try our best. But it says that he was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is a fancy word for comfort. The comfort of Israel. 
And now we who want to be righteous and devout are waiting for the comfort of Newtown, Connecticut, the comfort of the parents there, the comfort of siblings, the comfort of grandparents, the comforts of an entire town, state, nation, and beyond. A voice is heard in Ramah. What does God's word have to say about this? How do we respond? How can you and I find comfort because of the proceedings of last week? How can we find strength? But I think even our story here can speak to us. I think the Christmas story itself can speak to it. First of all, we've got to confess that often when tragedies like this hit, we feel small and powerless. But the good news is that God comes to us anyway. As Christina and I were talking on the phone and she was wondering what to say to her friends, we talked about a lot of things, but at one point she started talking about the sovereignty of God, and that's understandable, just remembering that God is so inscrutable, so mysterious, so holy, so other than us, so much bigger than us. But I reminded both of us that also whenever we talk about the sovereignty of God and all of his majesty and his ominousness, we also are reminded of of our smallness. And yes, what amounts sometimes to our powerlessness, our incapacity to to grasp life's big questions, especially in the midst of dark tragedy and chaos. But I find comfort that in the Christmas story itself, you know, the original revelation from God that his son would be born in the world didn't come to big people. It came to seemingly small and quite powerless people. It didn't first come to Caesar but to lowly shepherds, many of whom were homeless anyway, often ex-cons. It it didn't come to a high priest, it came to two peasants, two peasant teenagers named Joseph and Mary. It didn't come to some strapping, young, upwardly mobile centurion, but to a lowly old man named Simeon, who was just waiting patiently. And the good news is he comes to you and me as well, even when we feel small and powerless in the face of evil itself. And he comes in such a unique way. That's what's so amazing about about it. He came as a suffering Savior. You know, it is amazing again. It's hard to believe that before the birth of Jesus, there was something that we had experienced that God himself had not. Now, that's a rather ominous thought, but there was something that we had experienced that God had not experienced fully and that is human suffering and human death not until the birth of his son jesus did god fully experience that it's an incredible incredible thought an incredible reality and it's that suffering he faced that set us free as ethan said earlier He came down and did that and was able to sympathize with us, empathize with us. There's that wonderful passage in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tested in every way just as we are. We can find comfort in that, and we can find comfort in the fact that you and I needed a suffering Savior who tasted the cup of wrath. Do you remember when he said, let this cup pass from me? That's referring back to Old Testament times about God's cup of wrath. He had to taste the cup of wrath himself. And just as you and I tasted the cup of wrath and terror and horror just this past Friday, he had tasted that at Gethsemane and beyond at Golgotha for you and for me. Bottom line is the evil that happened in Newtown, Connecticut is why Jesus came. 
There are no simple answers to the complex questions of evil and darkness and tragedy, but he himself is indeed the answer. He came to answer the question of Newtown. He is the answer. And again, it's amazing how he came. He he knew what this world needed. You know, we did not need a superhero. We did not need a rock star or a politician or a pastor or a teacher, anything like that. And we needed more than a mere human, but we also needed more than a sovereign. We needed both. We needed a suffering sovereign. As one person put it, mere suffering would not do. Mere sovereignty would not do. The one is not strong enough to save. The other is not weak enough to sympathize. We needed both. We needed a God who could identify fully with us, fully with our pain, but also one who could guide us out of that. And because of that, he enabled us to sense a full solidarity with him and when we feel small and powerless that's exactly what he does he comes to us as a suffering sovereign and identifies with us and guides us out of it and that's wonderful but that leads us to another thing to remember whenever tragedy hits another word of comfort from god's word is this whenever something terrible happens you and i can sometimes feel displaced in a way it's almost like what is the world coming to And to take it a step further, sometimes we ask ourselves, what is the world coming to, and do I really belong here? Do I really belong in this world of darkness and negativity? And there's this sense of displacedness. Again, a voice is heard in Rama. Again, that was all about exile. Rachel's children are no more. What that's talking about, who were Rachel's children? Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, their father was Jacob, whose name became what? Help me with that. Israel. She's talking about the children of Israel who are now in captivity, who have been taken away into captivity, and, in, and who are being displaced and in exile. And, and something bad like this happens last Friday, and we feel like we're exiles in a world of darkness, and we're just trying to find our way home. Trying to find our way out of this. We feel like, in a way, we just don't belong. But the good news is we will get home. We will get back there. I've talked about this before. According to Scripture, existence began where? In a garden. And unfortunately, the fall came due to sin, and that really is what unleashed all the chaos and darkness and negativity that we find in the world. And in a sense, we've been trying to get back home to the garden ever since. And some of us get there sooner than others. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the thief was beside him and he said, Jesus, remember me this day? And what did Jesus say? Truly this day you will be with me in, help me, paradise. What does that word mean? Paradiso in the Greek, it means garden. Truly this day, Jesus told the man, you will be with me in the garden. You're going to get back there sooner than some folks. Fast forward to the very end of the Bible, the very last page of Scripture, probably in your own Bible. What is the last image that you find there? It's a garden. And it's described beautifully, and it's described as a garden where there is no more curse. Take that a step further. There is no more curse. There is no more terminal illness. There is no more war. There is no more grief. There is no more financial difficulty. There is no more anxiety. There is no more chaos in the world there are no more unanswered questions john is telling us in that vision at the very end of scripture we're going to get back there we will get 
home where there is no more heartache or pain or suffering. But like Simeon in this story right now, you and I are waiting. We're a part of what theologians call the already but not yet. Christ, yes, is on his throne. And he is ruling over all things. But we are in the midst of the battle here on this broken, dark earth. But one day we will get there. And that's the good news. About 15 years ago, uh, I was set to take a flight to Memphis. I was going to preach at First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. Milburn Price had been there just the past week, and I just missed him, but he told me to look forward to it. And I was looking forward to it, except for the flight, I was wondering how that was going to go because I saw on the radar, as some of you all probably looked at the radar this morning to see what the weather was going to be like today, uh, I saw that, that north of Memphis there was just a big old storm front. And I wondered how things were going to go. And I remember we were in the air at one point, and the pilot decided to fly kind of parallel to, to that storm front to try to get, get just enough around it to where we could get down there to Memphis. And I'll never forget at one point he said, you might even want to look out both sides of your windows. The pilot said this on, on the P-8. And I thought, well, that's interesting, but I see what he meant. Because I looked out my window, I was at a window seat, and, and it was just this gorgeous sunset, just these you know, pink fingers, you know, streaking across the sky and, and the sun, a big red ball was going down and it was just stunning and beautiful and peaceful. And then I looked across the aisle at the window of the other side and I mean, it was dark and threatening and menacing. And it was just fascinating to me to see this, this disparity here, but I sensed God telling me something. It was like, you know, your, your life is going to have some beautiful moments of laughter and joy and tranquility. You're going to have moments like that, but yes, you're also going to have moments of darkness and you're going to experience chaos and, and uncertainty and tragedy. And I sense God saying, you know, ultimately, it makes no difference which window you're looking through. It's good in the everydayness of life, obviously, to look through this window over here where the glass is half full. Uh, as Paul says in Philippians 4, you know, those things that are good and uplifting and inspiring and the like, think on those things. But there are times like you and I experienced just last week when we are forced by evil to face up to evil in the world and we look out on the darkness and the chaos and the turmoil and the confusion. But the good news is, I just sense God saying, <laughs> you see both of these, but you're going to make it to Memphis and later on you're going to make it home. And I sensed him telling you, me, you know, and one day you're going to get back to the garden. You're going to make it there. Right now you see through a glass darkly and don't understand it all. All that you see on both sides, the evil and the good. But one day, one day you'll see it all in all its goodness and glory. We'll get back there. When tragedy hits you and I sometimes feel small and powerless, but God's there. And in the midst of tragedy, when we feel displaced and really held captive by the evil we will get there he will get us home but finally and this is so great on Simeon's part we realize we can depart in peace and because of that we can live in peace I, I think sometimes we, we picture Simeon being this guy who's just yearning every day just oh no the word there righteous is very important it really is is connoting to you and me that Simeon was living a righteous life day in day out he was very much living in the present yes he was hoping for the comfort of Israel the consolation of Israel but in the meantime he was walking as he should with God every day and that's what you and I are called to do 
And I think when he says there in, in verse 27, you know, Sovereign Lord, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Because I have seen your salvation. Now, no doubt this is someone who faced dark times himself. But even at the darkest of times, he kept living on in peace now because he knew, really, living out what Paul says later, for me to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. And he lived it out that way. Even in the darkest of times. Some time ago, I talked about a man that I met one time named Dr. Oscar Thompson, and, and, and Dr. Thompson was a teacher for many years at, at Southwestern Baptist Seminary, wrote during the 1980s what I think is the, was the most influential book on evangelism that any Baptist wrote. It was called Concentric Circles of Concern, and it, and it, and it really just went out and, and just really sold a lot and, and just really helped a lot of people, a lot of Christians who were sharing the gospel, and he was really like just getting started with his career. He was in his 40s at the time, and, and, and things just began to be taking off for him, but then he was stricken with cancer and he went through all the brutalities of 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 radiation and 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 chemo and all that in fact one point he went to uh, harvard medical school and had treatments up there while he was up there people heard that he was a theologian and he actually delivered some lectures at harvard med school on the theology of cancer helping people even up there at one point he was in remission but then uh, the cancer really came back in a rage, very aggressive. And it was at that point that he was lying in a hospital bed, and one of his colleagues at the seminary, a fellow professor named Greg, went in to see him, uh, just hoping that he could be there to comfort him, because no doubt Dr. Thompson was gonna be li- would be lying there in a heap uh, full of, of, of self-pity and, and needing a good word. He said he walked into the room and and. Dr. Thompson himself said, Greg, come on over here. And he reached out before Greg could even reach out his hand to take his hand. Dr. Thompson took his hand and said, Greg, I've been all the way to the bottom. And let me tell you, it's rock solid. is that a great word? I've been all the way to the bottom. And let me tell you, it's rock solid. There will be times when you and I will get down there as well. But the good news is because of who we have, the sovereign God, the sovereign sufferer who suffered on our behalf, who stands in solidarity with you and me, that rock bottom is indeed rock solid. So we can live in peace knowing where we are heading, knowing that even at the bottom it's solid. And and remembering one other thing, that there is still so much good in the world okay go back to that image of, of looking out the window over here and the window over here and, and indeed doing what we can to focus on things over here because otherwise you're really letting evil rule the day i mean this isn't just for your own self-improvement this is a battle and in order for us to be winning the battle we need to be focusing on the good i loved how how apologist ravi zacharias puts it he says i want to say read this twice to walk away from one's faith because of unanswered questions about evil is to walk into a storm of unanswered questions about good to walk away from one's faith because of unanswered questions about evil is to walk into a storm of unanswered questions about good and our waiting will be fulfilled even when we hit rock bottom and we can still 
revel in, in the miracles that pulsate about us each and every day. And I thought we might close with one really cool miracle just to remind us that they are out there each and every day, even as God works through medical advancement. There's a video, um, hopefully, that we're going to be able to see of eight-month-old Jonathan, uh, who had been deaf for eight months. But then he has, and I hope I pronounce this right, a, a cochlear implant. Gilbert's? Okay, cochlear implant. I see the medical people saying, yes, well done. A cochlear implant, and he begins to be able to, to hear. And it's just really cool. It's a very brief video, but, but uh, you hear the father say, oh, this is a late Christmas present for us. This happened a little bit after Christmas last year. And I just love the baby's reaction. Uh, uh, especially when he drops the passy. He's, I mean, he's that blown away. The passy goes out, and it's just really cool. But I just thought we'd watch this. Here we go. It's coming back on. And he's back on again. See how he turns? Hi, Jonathan. Stop the sucking. Yeah. Hi. Good. Could you really hear good. that? <laughs> Hi, okay. sweetie. Could you hear that? You got that, Dad, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hi, Jonathan. <gasps> Hi. We call that a late Christmas present. <laughs> Hi. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and enter into a discipline of silence if we can. And I want that image even to speak to you, reminding yourself that we have so much to be grateful for, that again, there are miracles pulsing all about us if we only have the eyes of faith to see them, even amidst a world that can be so dark and broken sometimes. First of all, I want you to just give thanks for God's blessings to you in your life that you have right now. Take a moment of silence and just do that. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see and open our ears and help us to hear the amazing miracles that abound. All the good things that are all around us that are undeserved and yet so freely, freely given. We marvel at the unconditionality of your love, love without limits, love without bounds, love with no captivity whatsoever. We give you thanks for those. And yet even now as we face uh, darkness and chaos, I'd like for us to take just a moment of silence and let's remember the people of Newtown, Connecticut, uh, silently pray fervently for them, for parents who have lost children, siblings who have lost their own brothers and sisters, just families who are in the throes of incredible, incredible grief and trauma and the deepest of losses. Let's just pray for them silently for a moment. Hear our prayers, O God, and hear our confession that the waiting is difficult. Like Simeon, we are so wanting to be comforted. We want others 
to be comforted. We seek full comfort one day down the road. But for now, give us the comfort, the fortitude we need right now to keep pressing on. Even if it's simply walking and not fainting. Please deliver that to us and especially to those who need it most in the next few days to come and beyond that. Help us to continue to live our faith, to sing our faith, to press on toward the mark, knowing that even at rock bottom you are there, that the footing is firm, and that we're still moving, still getting there. And you're walking alongside us every step of the way. And for that, we can simply offer simple thanks. Thank you for being there for us, O oh God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.